Thank you, Kevin and Andy and uh, all the disciples here in the lower Westchester region. It's, uh, it's awesome to, to be here. Greetings from uh, the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ. We're literally just right up the road from you, about 40 minutes, straight up Route 95. Uh, but we're excited to be here today. Florence and I love the, the New York Church. We were actually baptized in the New York Church in 1985. And uh, some of you dinosaurs, many, many years prior, that's how we knew Kevin and Andy and uh, quite a few of you from, from way, way back in the New York days. And uh, we were in the, the daytime ministry in the early days. I'm a musician. My wife's a, a dancer. And uh, we remember, uh, you know, all of you or a lot of you from those, those earlier days. Uh, we have a, a family. We have three kids, although they're not really kids. But technically, if they're yours, they're your kids, right? <laughs> Even when you're not responsible for them financially, they're still your kids. <laughs> but we have an oldest son. Taylor is 28. He's uh, married. And I've uh, been married for about five years now. And uh, they're expecting their first child, so we're going to be grandparents here before you know it. I know you're in shock that this woman could be a grandmother. I know I, I think the same thing every day, but with me, you go, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But with her, it's shocking. But, uh, and, uh, and then we have another son, Jonathan. Jonathan is 25. He's been married for uh, less than a year now, I think nine months. And uh, they called us a while back. They were going away on a little getaway because they needed a getaway after nine months of marriage, so... I don't think we had to get away until like three years after we were married, but they're doing great. They're disciples. Both of those couples are in Atlanta and uh, doing really well there. And then we have a, a daughter, a 16-year-old daughter, Fiona, uh, who is uh, living at home. We could have been empty nesters, but uh, we decided we needed another child, so we had another child, which is great. So we've got uh, three, three children, and uh, it's fantastic. But um, we met here with the marrieds, not here, but here in Pelham. We met with the marrieds. Oh, thanks, bro. We're back to summer again, have you noticed? Right? So it was like 20 degrees a couple of days ago, and now it's 70 something. Well, we had a great time with the marriage on Friday, and uh, we talked about marriage. And uh, we talked about, yeah, it was great, it was fun. And uh, we talked about no ordinary love. And uh, we know that the love that we, we have for each other, uh, in, in that realm it was marriage, but it's really for, for all of us together, is no ordinary love because the love that we have from God is extraordinary. And God teaches us how to love. We don't really know how to love very well on our own. We think we do. People in the world think they really get love, but if they don't really know Christ, they don't really get love. When you get Christ, that's when you get love. But God's love for us is extraordinary. And as, as Christians, we experience in that in so many different ways. You know, we, through our families, through our life, we, we see that love that God has. And by faith, when we understand and we, 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 we get that love, then we walk in his presence. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about walking in the presence of Christ and, uh, and what that really does for us. Now, <clears throat> funny thing is, we're actually going to be spending our whole time in the Old Testament, but we know that God and Christ are one. So, but I do want to take a look today at, a, at, a, at an individual and a man who really spent uh, a lot of his time walking in the presence uh, of God. And so I have a little video clip we're going to show first, and then we'll get right on into it. There is audio there somewhere. We know he is enthroned in the heavenlies. These are not his only dwelling places. He is also found in the fiery furnace, 
belly of a whale. In the lion's den. In the prison cell. On stormy seas. He is there in the dark watches of the night. He is at rock bottom. He is there at the end of the rope. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. Where is God? He dwells in the place where you need Him most. God is there. God is everywhere. If you were to start from the beginning and go all the way through the Old Testament, what you would find is a fascinating, among other things, a fascinating view of God's people. And you would see when they were doing well, and you would see when they were not doing well. You can see when they were really close to God and when they were not doing God. You would see how they thought. You would see how they acted. You would see what they believed, what they didn't believe, and how they viewed their, their relationship with God. And their relationship with God was largely... Selfish. What can I get out of it? What is God going to do for me? Rather than what can, we, what can we give to God? How can we give to God? But in spite of that rather selfish approach to their walk with God, God would continually bless them and God would take care of them. And God was always there pushing them in the right direction and always leading them into a better place. And it was clear that when things were going really well for them, that God was in control. Because it wasn't them working. It was God working. You know, in the same way, I believe that God is working in our lives all the time. Sometimes we don't believe that. We see, where, where is God? Why isn't God here right now? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why, am I, why didn't I get this place and, you know, the, the job I wanted? Or why didn't this thing work out? We, we wonder, you know, where's, where's God? Like God comes and goes. God's always there with us. And God is always leading us in, in the right direction. And his desire is always for us to be in a better place. And you know, God is continually opening and closing doors so that we can be set up to win. Although sometimes we don't recognize it as such, but that's how he works. And God is always there. And sometimes with those doors opening, it's a small door, right? It's a simple, it could be a simple, innocent conversation that you have with somebody. Have you noticed that? And you weren't really planning to have this talk. Maybe it's in fellowship or, you know, you meet with a disciple one night after work and you just get together. And, and there's one little thing that that disciple says, and they didn't even realize they were going to say it. And you didn't ask them, but there's one thing that's said, you know, and it just, it makes sense to you at the moment. And you think, wow, God put that person in my path at that time, at that right place, because I needed to hear that one little thing. Now, sometimes it's a really big thing, right? We say, wow, I know that God is working here. And it could be something like getting a job that you really needed because the hours you had before were terrible and you, you couldn't make church and you, your family wasn't seeing you. So you've been praying, God, please give me this other job. I don't care about the money. I don't care about I just want to be able to see my family and I want to be a disciple. And so you pray and, and God opens up that door. You say, God, that was so great. Thank you so much. A career change or a relationship maybe. You know, maybe you're praying, God, I, I just, I really, you know, would love to have this person in my life in a, in a greater way. And so you're praying and, and just, it comes together and God does it. It could be some big decision uh, that it might be, but big or small, I bet you know that feeling, right? 
that there's something going on here that is beyond me. There's something happening in my life right now. There's a, there's a presence. There's a force. However you want to label it, there's something that I know is beyond my control. It's got to be God working this out. I mean, how many times have you said, right, that's so God? Right? Do you say that? That's like one of the universal things in the, in the kingdom. There's like, there's awesome. And then there's, there's that's so God. And you probably say that a lot. You don't maybe say it out loud. Maybe you do, but you, you say it to yourself. You know, maybe it's a parking spot. Now, I used to live in Manhattan. Let me tell you something. It's probably, it's probably not that different here. I used to have a car in Manhattan. How crazy was that? I lived on the Upper West Side when we first got married in uh, 1985, and we bought Mike Tolliver's old car, Nissan Sentra, before he went on one of his first uh, trips. I think it was to uh, Sao, Sao Paulo or something. But we bought Mike's old car, and I don't know why I thought I needed a car in Manhattan. Well, we lived in the Bronx at the time. We used to live down near uh, Kingsbridge. But then we moved into Manhattan, and I spent more time just moving the car than actually going anywhere with the car. And I know I funded a few traffic agents, kids through college, through parking tickets. I'm, I'm sure of that. And, uh, but, you know, I would, I would move the car, and, you know, but it's like in Manhattan. If you ever drove, if you ever parked in Manhattan, you know, with the alternate side, it's that, it's that way here too. So with the alternate side parking, you're driving around and driving around. And my goal was to be at least four blocks away from home. If I was four blocks away from my house, I thought that was, I was really lucky. And then you drive around and you get that one spot. It would be like right there in front of the apartment building. It's like, oh, praise God. And maybe you notice that if you go to a shopping center or something, especially around the holidays. It's like, oh, Lord, please, I don't want to be in Section Z. You know, just let it, let it be somewhere like relatively close to the door. And you're driving around and the one spot's there. Or maybe you go in the store to buy something. You know, you're all excited because you want a new toaster, and you, you looked in the flyer, and there was a toaster, you know, it was normally forty nine ninety nine, but now it's like nine ninety nine. It's like, I need that toaster. And you run in there, and, and you go to the, the toaster aisle, and, you know, all the other really good toasters are there, but the one you want's not there. Like, oh, gosh, I really want that. And, and so you, you ask the clerk, look, could you just check, and this never works, but sometimes it does, could you just look in the back, right, you ever say that? <laughs> Just, just check in the back, like there's like a, you know, or like a room full of them in the back. They forgot to fill out. Just, just look in the back. And the guy walks out with the toaster, right? And it's like the last one. And you're like, oh, that's so God. That's so God. I wanted that toaster. There it is. Or maybe you bump into a friend, you know, that you haven't seen in a long time. And it's like, wow, why did we happen to be walking on that street at the same time? That's so God. We say those things a lot. You can't fully explain it but you can fully appreciate it when something worked out. And God has made his presence known. I don't know if God finds toasters or parking spots, but I know that God does make his presence known. And we say things like, I hear God talking to me. Now, I don't hear God audibly talking to me. Maybe he has to you. I'm not going to tell you he hasn't. I'll tell you it's never happened to me. But we can figuratively say, I, I, I hear God speaking to me. What's he saying? When God speaks to you, however that voice is, you know, assimilated into your, your system, how, what, what, what is he saying? What are you hearing? Sometimes we say, I really see God working. What is it that you're actually seeing when you say, I see God working? Or maybe you say, I feel God's power. I feel God's spirit. I feel that presence. What is it that you're experiencing? 
See, what we're really saying when we say, I, I, I hear God's voice, or I, I feel God's presence, or I you know, know God's what you're saying is, I know that God is with me. I'm confident that I'm walking in the presence of God. No matter where I am, no, what I, no matter what I'm doing, I'm in the presence of the living God. Could there be anything better? Could there be anything more awesome to overuse a, a phrase, but I think it really fits here. Could there be anything more awesome than knowing that you are in the presence of the living God? Now, that's not without its challenges sometimes, right? Because when things are going really well and we're in a good place, we like being in the presence of God. Sometimes you find yourself and you're not in such a great place and it's a little challenging knowing that, wow, right now, I'm also in the presence of God. Maybe you're having an argument with your husband or your wife or you're, you're in a sinful situation or you're, you're, you're not acting like a disciple. You've got to remember, well, at those times, you're also in the presence of God. And so we've got to remember that God's always there. But all things considered, look, it's a great place to be. There's no place I would rather be, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, than in the presence of the Almighty God. Moses had a very personal awareness of his presence with God. And God revealed himself to Moses. And I believe he does the same thing with us. And there's a couple of ways that he does that. One is through his voice. And I want you to look at the voice of God. Exodus 3, and we're going to begin here in verse 1. Now, we have a little bit of reading, so follow along. Maybe have a different translation. This is a 2011. I like my 84 version of the NIV better. If you're a dinosaur, you probably feel the same way. But nonetheless, it will say much the same thing. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but that it didn't burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and I'll see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him, from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Well, then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Well, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out, because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a land of spacious, flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me. What's his name? What am I going to tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I 
am. And that's what you're going to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Well, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God, and he really like nails this down, like this is who I am, right? The God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you'll call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, yes, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you, and I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I've promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, you've got a picture in your mind what's going on here. You've got Moses, right, and he's out there doing what he normally does. He's tending the sheep. That was his, that was his job. He's minding his own business. And what happens? He notices a burning bush. But this was no ordinary bush, brush fire, right? Because this bush was burning, and it didn't burn up, and it was talking. And so as the bush talks, Moses listens And that's a really good bit of advice. If you're ever walking around and there's a bush that's burning, but it doesn't burn up and it begins to talk, you should probably at least give it a little bit of time. And so he listens. He realizes as the bush is talking that it's not the radio. This is this is the voice of God. And so he stops dead in his tracks. And what did God want Moses to hear that day? A few really important things. In verses 7 and 9, he says, I see what's going on. I'm not the old, naive, gray-haired, nearly blonde guy in the sky that some may think I am. He says, no, 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 trust me. I see everything. I see the opposition. I see the struggles. I see the trials. Moses, believe me, I see it all. I get it. And then he says in verse 8, I've got a plan for you. It's a rescue plan. We're not going to leave you hanging there. We're going to get you out. But then he says the first time, I need you, Moses. I need you to be engaged. You're a part of this. You're not just a bystander, man. You're going to, you're going to have to do your way here. You're going to have to be involved. I, I will get you out, but I need you to be involved and engaged. And then he says in verses 11 and 12, but I believe in you. I know you can do it. And I'll be right there with you. All of that from a brush fire. Why the burning bush? Well, God needed to grab his attention. Maybe just a voice from, you know, the sky wouldn't have done it. He had to really get his attention. And you see God do this a lot with people, right? You know how it is with your kids. If you have kids, so what do you do if you really need to get your kids' attention? If it's really urgent, right? And if they're nearby... I know what, what we did with our kids. You would stop them and you would hold their face, right? You, and they'd be like, and they're trying to like move. And, and you're like, look, you got to hear this. Out. You got to hear. You got to listen, right? So you grab their face so they can't go anywhere. Well, that's, that's what God does. God, God grabs our attention. And you see this throughout the Bible, right? For Ezekiel, how did he grab Ezekiel's attention? The voice of God, the Bible says, was a, was a roar of rushing water. I mean, that really got his attention. For Elijah, you know what it was? A gentle whisper. Maybe he had a soft heart, but that's how he got his attention. 
For Isaiah, you know what it was? A clap of thunder that got his attention. Well, for Moses now, it was the crackle of a fire and that got his attention. But what is it for you? What does it take for God to get your attention to where you're not looking left or right? You're not, you know, multitasking. You're just like, okay, God, I know that this is you clearly communicating with me. Is he getting your attention? Because it's really important that God gets and holds your attention. Why is it so important? Because he's got some really, really important things to say to you and things that you need to hear and honestly, things that you really want to hear. You know what he says? He says, well, I see what's going on. Isn't that really great to know that God sees what's going on in your life? Because sometimes we wonder, does God notice where I'm at? Does God see my predicament? Does God see this mess? Does God see that this is not good? Does, does God really see? God sees your whole life. He says, I get it. Right? He says to Harry. Where's Harry? Harry, he sees it. He gets it. Dave, he sees it. He gets it. Right? Kevin, he gets it. For all of us, he gets it. Jackie, he gets it. God, God sees where you life. Dave, he gets it. Jenny, he gets it. He sees it. Nothing escapes the vision of God. Nothing escapes the heart of God. Nothing escapes the mind of God. Nothing escapes the compassion of God. God says, I know, I see, I see the good, I see the bad, I see the ugly. And let me tell you, I see everything in between. I'm not oblivious to your cries. I'm not oblivious to the fact that, you know, things may not always be great. God says, I see the fears. I see the struggles. I see the insecurities. I see the temptations. I see the frustrations. I see the failures. I see the doubts. God says, man, I, I, I see it all. Whether you're a disciple or not, whether it's in becoming a disciple, becoming a Christian, or living as a Christian, living as a disciple, God says, I see the battle. But you know what he also says? He says, I see you working at it. That's why you're here. You don't have to be here right now. You came here on your own free will, of your own, your own thoughts and desires. Nobody forced you to be here. Well, I don't know, maybe they did. I don't know, but probably not. My guess is you came here because you really wanted to be here. And God sees that you're fighting and that you're persistent and that you're determined. And God sees it all. And you know what he wants you to know? You know what he wants you to hear? That I'm with you. That I've got my eye on you. Don't fret. Don't worry. And he also wants you to know that I've got a plan for you. So he told Moses, I see where they're at. I see the captivity. I get it. But look, we've got a rescue plan. It's just about done. You know, we're going to go on in there. We're going to get everybody out. I need you to do it. But, but I've got a plan. I'm not going to leave you stranded. And it's good to know that you're not on your own. And you know what the really cool thing is? It's not like some secret plan. Like, okay, well, I can't wait for God to reveal that plan. Because I want to know how to get my marriage in the right place. I want to know how to get out of this sin. I want to know how to live as a disciple. I want to know how to become a disciple. So I can't wait for God to lay this on me. But guess what? There it is right there. So you've already got it. Either it's paper like this one or it's electronic. Just don't let your battery go dead. But you've got the plan right there. It's right here in the Word. 
So I don't know who everybody here is. I know a few of you. But my guess is there are some people here that are not disciples. You probably know you're not a disciple. And maybe somebody is studying the Bible with you and you're going through some studies and you're, you're learning about the Word and about what it means to be a disciple and you're dealing with things in your life and your sin and you're, you're figuring out how do I get it to be a part of this kingdom and, and, and you know, it's, it's, all, it's all happening right now. Or maybe if you're here for the first time and you have no clue what I'm talking about. But you're thinking, that actually sounds really good. I'd like to know about how to have that marriage and have that life and be a disciple. And so I want to I encourage you. You need to ask whoever invited you here. So tell me how to get to that place. Because I do want to believe that God is there, and I want to believe that God is watching, and I do want to believe that God has a plan, but I'm not sure how to put it all into practice, how to get all the wheels turning on it. God's got a plan. It's right here in his word. Because, you know, for, for all of us, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you are in your Christian walk right now, this, this book right here is a book of answers. And it's a book of direction. And it's a book of hope. And it's a book of promise. And it's a perfect plan because God doesn't mess up. God doesn't make mistakes. And so if you just say, I'm going to take this book and I'm going to put that into practice, you've got God's rescue plan. You really can't go wrong. I mean, you would have to mess it up really bad because the plan is perfect. Just, just follow what it says and you'll be fine. Are you listening to what God says? Are you believing? Are you obeying? The way I listen to God is by reading the Bible. I hope one day God speaks to me. That would be a really cool thing. I would preach that all the time. It's never really happened to me. But I know that when I read the Bible, man, I'm hearing God's voice. And God speaks loud and clear. Read the Bible. Believe. Obey. The book is useless unless you use it. And so put it into practice. And watch what happens. But then I think the most important thing that he wants you to hear is that I believe in you. And we all need that. Because we might be thinking, well, okay, I know the Bible is perfect, but I'm a mess. And so now what? You know, I might have a perfect plan in my lap or on my my nightstand or on my kitchen table in the morning or wherever it is you read your Bible. But, you know, what do I do? How, How does it come together? God says, I believe in you. And like Moses, you're going to have to step out and do something. It's a great plan, but it doesn't just work itself. It's not like, oh, I bought a Bible, so I'm good now. No, 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 no. It's like, I'm coming to church, so it's good now. No, it doesn't even work with that, that way. You can come to church with carrying your Bible proudly, but that's not going to change you. If she's saying, okay, I'm going to put this plan into practice. I'm going to actually do something with it. The plan involves you making a move. And isn't that the way it is with most anything else in life? I mean, you've got to do something. You've got to have some drive. You've got to have some initiative. And so God says, I believe in you, but you've got to do something with it. You've got to be responsible for getting yourself connected with that plan. There's plenty of people in this room that will help you. I know that because I know Kevin. I know Sean. I know a lot of the guys here. So I know James. I mean, I know there's, there's people there that will say, yes, I will help you. Disciple or not disciple, it doesn't matter. People will help you, but you've got to make a move to get that help. Moses felt pretty insecure when he heard that voice and that plan, right? And he was thinking, can I do this? But be honest, don't we all have that question at times? Can I do this? Don't we all struggle with insecurities at times? I've been a disciple 31 years. I struggle with insecurities. 
Can I do this? Can I keep doing it? Can I, can, I, can I leave this church? Can I preach this message? Can I study the Bible with this guy? I'm studying the Bible with a lot of people right now. I think four or five people. Not a lot, but for me it's a lot. But, you know, I, I get with these guys. Every week it's like, oh, Lord, because I know the issues they have. You know, one guy's got these huge marriage issues. It's like, oh, gosh, Lord God, am I going to be able to help this guy? A couple of college students that are just very young. They're just not getting it. You know, there's a brand new guy I just started with, and, and he's got major, major issues. They're going through a divorce right now, and, and he's really just, he, the first time I met the guy, he's like bawling his eyes out in Panera Red with me. He doesn't even know me. And it's like, okay, God, can I, am I the one? Like, there's probably a better person around the corner that could, that could help these guys than me. And I think Moses felt that way. Am I the one? Can I do this? Yeah, yes and no. No in me, but yes in God. In the presence of God, absolutely, I know it can happen. We all struggle with those insecurities. And maybe you're struggling with the insecurity right now, even becoming a Christian. Can I become a disciple? Can I change this? Right, so maybe you're getting with somebody from the church. They're working through, okay, we're at this sin and repentance phase right now. And you're like, all right, I get it, but can I change it? Yes, you can. Can I change what I need? Can I face what I need to face? Can I make this commitment? You guys are really serious about church. Man, I thought, you know, going a few times a year, that was really good. You know, we, I, I made every Christmas and Easter, but, you know, you guys, you guys, it's like a whole new, like, bar set here. Can I do all the stuff you guys do? Can I really surrender to Jesus the way I know the Bible says that's what you need to do? Yes, you can. Again, not you, but Christ working in you, in the presence of God, you can. Now, maybe you're a disciple. Can I really live as a disciple? Can I have a marriage the way the Bible calls me to have a marriage? I know some of your marriages are in disrepair. I know some of the marriages that we have in Connecticut are in disrepair. You know, the the world just beats the tar out of us, doesn't it? And the world can can really, you know, Satan loves to, to wage war on marriage. And get you thinking like, man, you know, did I make a mistake? Is this the right one? Maybe we need to just figure out a way to bail out of this. I know in the church we can't bail out, so maybe then it's just going to be really bad for the rest of our lives, and so be it. But it doesn't have to be that way at all. Can I really have a disciple-like, Christ-like, biblical marriage? Yes, you can, because God believes in you. And in the presence of God, anything can happen. Can I have a personal ministry? When's the last time you studied the Bible with somebody? When's the last time you even invited somebody to come to church? I'm not here to, to, to get down. Because, I don't know, maybe you do that all, every day. I, I don't know you. But you know you. And so if you're not helping somebody else to become a Christian, at least at some point along the way, you've you got to begin to wonder, okay, maybe I've just given up that I can do that. But you can do that. You absolutely can. Can I follow through my responsibilities and my dreams and my goals of being a Christian parent, father, son, daughter, wife, brother, sister, buddy, you know, whatever. Yes, you can. You can live this life. We look at where we are right now sometimes and where we, we know we would like to be, where we need to be, and we seem like, we think it's like this big chasm. It's like the Grand Canyon. I can't go from there to there because, you know, it's just like it's too hard. It's too difficult. Can I get there? So I think Moses felt a lot of that. Can I get there? He heard God's voice, grabbed hold of faith and confidence that God had for me and said, yeah, I think I can do this. Together, God, we can do this. And he ran with it. Do you hear that voice? God is saying right now, run with it. Well, the second thing is this. You've got to hear the voice, but you've got you to feel the, the touch. 
feel the touch. Moses hears the voice. He gets the plan. And now it's time to really see God move. And it's great when you see God move and feel that touch. Exodus 3, look at me at verse 18. In verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let's take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and I'll strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I'll perform among them. After that, he'll let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you'll put on your sons and daughters, and so you'll plunder the Egyptians. And so Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me? Or listen to what I say. And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Well, then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran from it. I would do the same thing. I don't like snakes. He ran from that snake, right? And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I doubt that I would go that far. But he did it. He reaches out. He takes hold of the snake, and it turns back into his staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Well, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Now, put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into the cloak, took it out, and it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Well, the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they'll believe the second. But if they don't believe either of these signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become like blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent. I mean, he's really trying to get out of this, right? I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, and I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go, I'll help you speak, and I'm going to teach you what to say. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. It's like, okay, here we are. One last time, please send somebody else. Right, he just pulls out all the sounds. Okay, you're not listening. I ain't the guy. Find someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, well, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. Moses is thinking, yeah, yeah, please send him. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak, and I'll teach you what to, what to do. And he'll speak to the people for you, and it will be as if it were your mouth, and as if God were, uh, if you were God uh, to him. But take his staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. And so God tells Moses, I will stretch out my hand, and I'm going to show you what I can do. And he proceeds to show Moses all that he's talking about. And so the staff became a snake, right? And he says, this is my hand at work. And then that, that healed hand, right, leper to like good, everything's fine. My hand at work. The water to blood, that's my hand at work. Don't you get it? I'm going to show you and everybody else that I'm there. All this so that the Egyptians can see 
God's hand at work, right? Is that what it was? So that the Egyptians could see God's hand at work, right? Was that what it was? To some degree, right? Yes, it was. But it was more that Moses would see. It wasn't like look, God didn't really care whether the people believed or not. because He was going to do what he was going to do anyway. But it was like, Moses, look, you got to know, okay? So, yes, the Egyptians will get it. But, man, brother, I want you to get it. That when my hand is with you, you will not fail. How do we know that God's hand is at work in our lives? I mean, we don't have a staff that we can toss on the ground and it becomes a snake. That would scare people away anyway. That wouldn't be very good, <laughs> right? God, this isn't a very effective tool for evangelism. <laughs> you, you know, but we, we, we don't have the snake. We can't change our skin from leprous to, to healed again. You know, you spill water on the ground. All it's going to do is make a mess. It's not going to turn to blood. So we wonder, what, what can we do? How do we know that God's hand is there? How can we be confident that God is actually doing anything in our lives. You ever wonder, God, how do I know it's really you working? Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe, the, maybe there really was just one last toaster. And then, you know, how do we know that God really is doing anything in our lives? Where's the proof? In the Bible, it's so easy to see God's hand, right? I mean, we see many convincing proofs as we read through the Bible. Jesus would touch people. They'd be healed. The blind can see. The lame can walk. The, you know, the deaf can hear. It's like, okay, well, that's great. You know, great biblical illustrations and examples of God working. There's no argument. But where's that for us? How does God work for me every day? Where's my proof? Moses had convincing proofs, right? Did he have convincing proofs? That God was going to do a miracle? It's a trick question. You're not sure what to say. It's like, well, yes and no. Okay. The only thing that these miracles proved, whether it be the, the hand or the, or the stick or the water, the only thing that they proved is that God would give him courage and confidence to take a stand against Pharaoh with a message from God. If you noticed in what I read, there was no mention of how this would go or Pharaoh's reaction to the whole thing. All this did was bolster, was for, was to bolster Moses' confidence. No mention how well it would go, if Pharaoh, if Pharaoh was going to respond well, or even how long this was going to take. Look over verse 29 now. We're moving right through this. We're almost there. Look at verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and he had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Now, they actually hadn't seen any action yet. Nothing had really changed. They were still in the bad place they were before. There was no confrontation. They were still captives. There was no victory yet. In fact, the victory was quite a long ways off. But yet Moses was able to convince all the Israelites that, yes, God's hand is with us. How convinced are you that God's hand is really with you? Saying, Man, where, where are my signs? <laughs> where, where's my snake? Where's my, where's my, you know, water to blood moment? 
You know, where's that, that moment where the light switch goes on and it's like, okay, God, yes, man, thank you, Lord, you are there. How do we know? How convinced are you that God will deliver you from a messy situation, even though you're right in the middle of it right now, and you haven't felt a victory yet? How can you be confident? You know, Moses had his, what sign will be given to you that God's going to work this out? Sometimes we say, well, I don't, I don't see those signs. I say, I, I think you're maybe looking for the wrong thing. Sometimes we look for the wrong things. We want to see the hand of God, right? We think, okay, God, so I want it to work out just this way. And when it does work out just that way, then I'll know for sure, for sure that you're with me. But, you know, we know that God doesn't always work the way we want God to work. So how are you going to know? You've got to look for the right things. Here's, I'll give you three things. This is how I believe you're going to know that the hand of God is really with you. Here, here are the signs, okay? One, your character changes. And your perspective on things changes. And your outlook changes. And your attitude is better. Another thing, the second thing, your faith increases. Your patience is increasing. Now, mind you, this is still while you're maybe in a mess. Okay? So your perspective is changing. Your outlook, your attitude. But now your patience is changing. Even though you know this isn't good, but okay, God, I'm going to keep working on this. You surrender. You have a greater sense of surrender. You trust. You have a deeper faith. And the third thing is your confidence is now growing. You feel stronger. You stand a little taller. You have less doubt. And even though you may not be seeing an immediate change in your, circ- your circumstances, in your situation, there is a change in your attitude about it. You've got a faith that, you know what? Even though we're, we're in the thick of it. God, I know you're going to work this out. I feel your hand. I feel your touch. You're brighter. You're positive. You're okay. Because you're seeing God's hand in your life. One last thing. Look at Exodus chapter 14. Let's go to the end of the story. No, it's not really the end of the story. We're actually at the end of the story. So it's, a, it's an ongoing story. But I want you to see in Acts Chapter four. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 14. You know, after repeated setbacks by Pharaoh, the Israelites were finally able to leave Egypt. And it was a, a huge victory for, for, for Israel. But you know what? It was even a bigger victory for Moses because he's the one that a while back was saying, I ain't the guy, send somebody else. But now Moses is successfully leading them out. It's like he's feeling great because he knows, man, God's there. They've been following the, the pillar of fire and the, the, the cloud. They come up to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are hot on their tail. And they're, they're still not out of the woods yet. There's still someone in the thick of it. And then comes the moment of truth from Moses. And let me tell you something. You're going to have a moment of truth moment with whatever mess you're in, whatever problem you've got, whether it's your marriage issue or your relationship or your career or your family issue or whatever it might be, your personal sin issue. There's going to be a moment of truth moment where it's like, okay, God, you know, I've been faithful. I've been believing. I've been trying. I've been working. My attitude's changed. My outlook has changed. You know, my faith is, I'm brighter. I'm I'm a little taller. Okay, I'm really trying. God, okay. Let's see. 
is it going to come together? And so now Moses has that, that moment of truth moment. Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt? I mean, you've you got to love the humor of the Bible, right? <laughs> were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us into this desert to die? What have you done to us or bringing us out of Egypt? And sometimes you wonder, okay, God, you know what? Is, 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 do you really have it out for me? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let's serve the Egyptians. It wasn't so bad. Yeah, we didn't eat anything. We were dying and starving. But, you know, it really was pretty, pretty okay. Would it have better, better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert? Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to, to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them and I'll gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through the chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Well, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind him, coming between the armies of, of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on the left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw that the Egyptians were lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. So Moses was feeling it now. It's like, Lord, you were right. Man, if I just listen to your voice and I follow and I, I, I do what it says, I know we're going to be okay. Have you experienced a victory lately? See, like Moses, I believe that when you're able to hear God's voice and see his hand at work, it's just a matter of time before you feel the touch. 
And that's where you're going to find victory. And whether you feel like you're crossing a street or crossing the Jordan River, you will know that God's hand is with you. Hear the voice, feel the touch, and be in his presence. Amen. Thanks.